Thursday Finance coming up next on 2NURFM with Stephen Pritchard joining me, Jane Klein. And we're going to take a look at margin lending. Also have a market snapshot with Henry Jennings and find out what's happening with currency and commodities. Stephen Pritchard, before we get on to currencies and commodities, um, it's uh, possible through your tax return, I believe, to consolidate your supers. You get that option. Is there some, something we should be aware of when we do that? Yeah, there's an option on e-tax when, when e-tax is actually up and working to um, allow you to consolidate your various superannuation funds. Now, what you need to be careful is it, it, it seems an easy process, and it is, but what you need to be careful of is look at the insurance covering those funds. You might find that you, you've got some death and disability insurance in one of your funds, and when you consolidate it, it all goes to another fund that hasn't, hasn't got as good, of as, as good as coverage. So just be careful that... Um, you know, when you're starting to consolidate your super, think actually about what you're doing and not just push the button to, to consolidate it because it may be that the fund that the system automatically consolidates to is not the best option. So you don't you. get a choice as to which one it, op- it consolidates to. Okay, no. all right. It's just some algorithm in the system. Okay, so yeah, do take care. Mm. Yes, take mm. care on that. You might find that uh, you think you've got this insurance and all of a sudden you haven't. So is it mainly for insurance that you need to be Oh, that's a major issue, of. yeah. Okay. The major issue. I mean, you could look at the investment performance, I suppose, as well. But, you know, the major issue you need to be worried about the short term is the insurance coverage the insurance that you've okay. got will disappear. Okay. In the meantime, has anything disappeared from our currencies and commodities? Well, lots have disappeared from our currencies. Um, uh, the gold price is up, as one would expect. Um, and gold's traditionally seen as a store of value in troubled times, and uh, we've had some trouble times in the last two weeks, a week. Um, the gold price was up 2%. Um, the silver price was only marginally up 016 and the commodities industrial minerals and metals and base metals were all down. I mean, copper was down 5% on the week to $7,153 a tonne. Nickel was down 9% on the week to $14,234. And cop, and sorry, tin was down 2% to $18,638 a tonne. So, so the, the commodity prices are reacting um, more or less in line to what you'd expect with the financial markets. And the financial yes, markets... we're not happy, are we? Or no, they're not? <laughs> no, there's all this red on this sheet this week, Jane. The uh, currency, the Australian currency was down 2.7% to um, 74 cents per US dollar. Now, the Reserve Bank had previously had a target of 75 cents, but I, I suspect that... Um, with the fall in the commodity prices, um, they're now looking, and particularly iron ore, and the continuing fall in iron ore, I, I suspect they're looking for a lower exchange rate still. There is some there is some commentators talking about this going to go to 50 cents. 50? 50. Oh, yeah. I heard 70. I thought that was low. Well, it's not far from 70 yeah. now. That, 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 was, that was last week. Ah, <laughs> oh, last week. Well, 74.25. Yes, uh, loads of business yesterday. Um, and... Um, we're down against all the currencies and 0.67 euros. And the market indexes, they're also a sea of reading. Um, the Australian All Ordinaries was down uh, just on 1% to the week to 5,456. Um, the US market was down 1.3% to 17,515. And the Hang Seng, which is the mainland market in um, Hong Kong, sorry, the Hong Kong market, because we don't have the Shanghai index, was down 10.43% on the week. So that's a significant drop. Certainly is. 
and your favourite thing, the oil price. My favourite. The, the one I use. Isn't yes, it? the oil price is down 6.5%. The Wex Test 6 Intermediate Crude Oil Price is down 6.5% in the week to uh, 69.53. Now, there's talk about that. Why that's happening is that the um, um, some deal is going to be done with... Um, Iran to allow them to export uh, oil again, which may add another half half million dollars, half million barrels a day to the oil supply, and um, the number of drilling rigs um, seems to have bottomed out in the U.S. and they're actually starting to increase the number of drilling rigs for um, um, shale oil production, which will also add to the uh, supply. Is that only in the U.S. the shale? Yeah. Oh well, that's the principally the, the states yeah. in the shale. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, and they've got the oil sands in um, Canada. Mm-hmm. And the unfortunately, the 6 or 7% drop in the crude oil price hasn't as yet flowed through to the unleaded price that you're paying at the Bowser. Um, today it was $1.41 a litre, which is down just on 1% for the week. And Sydney was $1.40 point five cents a litre, which was up three percent on the week. So that's quite good that Sydney's gone up and we haven't moved. <laughs> and the diesel price, the diesel price was pretty much the same. We're talking about thousands of a percent here. Uh dollar thirty six a litre in Newcastle and a dollar thirty cents a dollar thirty a litre in Sydney. Two in UFM and Thursday finance at twenty five past twelve. And it's time, Stephen Pritchard, for our market snapshot. With uh, Henry Jennings down there in sunny Melbourne today. I am down in sunny Melbourne working for Marcus today. Yes, so, um, I hope he yeah. keeps you work, working hard down there. I've been tapping away frantically on my keyboard today, writing quality content for our news, news readers. Well, that's excellent. So <laughs> what, what have you been writing about the Chinese stock market correction? Oh, and how they're going yeah. to stop it by banning people from selling their shares. Well, the, the Chinese stock market has been a, a massive bubble waiting to burst. I guess we've seen it burst in a spectacular fashion in the last week or so. I mean, to put it in perspective, we have to remember the Chinese market is still up for the year, which is um, you know not in a dissimilar position to us. I mean, we're pretty much line ball, and so are they at the moment. So um, it's had a huge run up. It went from you know it went up 150 percent, so it's fallen back 35, 40 percent. So you need to put that into perspective. But it has turned into a bit of a casino over there, as opposed to a, um, a, a what you could consider a stock market. So um, a lot of people have been buying shares on margin. Um, and that, uh, unfortunately, when it unravels, it can unravel quite quickly as, uh, as the people that lent you the money want their money back or you have to sell the shares. So um, that's kind of just fed on itself to some extent, a bit like a, a wildfire. So um, it's, it's been an interesting ride, to say the least. And it looks like it's going to continue for some time, I'd imagine. Well, you know what? If, if I was a brave man, and sometimes I am, um, I would be looking to um, to sort of get some exposure to China for a bit of a bounce. I, I think uh, now the authorities are certainly pretty serious about what they want to do to keep the market up. They don't want it to collapse completely. That does affect um, confidence and sentiment, and especially, um, you know, that they need to be seen to be all-powerful and be able to uh, to move their red right hand and be able to, um, to um, you know, enact big changes. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that China actually start to um, find a base and start to move ahead again. But obviously that, that bubble... Um, it's going to take a lot of um, 
a lot of uh, pumping to get it up from here. Mm. And speaking of pumping, what was pumping up Greece at the moment? <laughs> well, well, Greece seems to have been rattling around as an issue for for so long. It, it's not funny. I mean, we're, we're certainly hoping that we're getting towards an end game this week. The Greeks have until um, I think Friday morning at about eight o'clock to uh, put their proposal in. They've submitted a new three-year plan. Um, they're going to need a 30-year plan, to be honest. Uh, probably more like a you know a 50-year plan. But certainly at the moment, um, the um, it looks as if that we will get some resolution. Whether they're going to be in or out of the euro is going to be discussed on on the weekend. Um, I suspect they will cobble something together uh, and they will kick the um, the can or the Greek urn down the road for uh, a little while longer um, while they try and enact some sort of reform to their economy to get it back on an even even footing. And the Greek uh, the Greek banks have still run out of money, or well, well the Greek banks are closed. So yes. um, yeah, the Greek the Greek banks have got no money at all, and unfortunately, without the uh, European Union or without the European uh, Central Bank backstopping them, they will uh, when they do reopen, it will just be a feeding frenzy. Um, there's talk now that depositors are going to have to take a bit of a haircut in what's known as a bail-in, and there also uh, is some talk that some of the weaker ones will have to be merged with some of the stronger ones. I'm not sure they've got any stronger ones left, but um, that's the theory. So we will see some mergers, I think, in the next few days, um, some hastily cobbled together kind of mergers, um, and to try and um, you know, stabilise the Greek banking system. At the end of the day, I mean, there's certainly lots of money around Greece. The problem is that it's not in the banks, it's under people's mattresses. Mm-hmm. And, and in euros and US dollars, probably. Well, uh, yeah, it's, uh, or even in drachma. Oh, there's still some of that around, is it? Sure, I think I've still got some at home. Uh, okay. And um, an interesting thing with, with all this un- uncertainty in the world, and people have obviously previously looked at um, gold as a store of value, and there's, yeah. there's a new gold vectors, gold miners ETF listed on ASX the last week. Um, yeah, there is. I mean, it's. Uh, I guess people have. Um, you know, tr- this, traditionally people have looked at buying uh, gold mining shares as a bit of a, a hedge. I mean, that's somewhat fraught with danger because sometimes these producers don't do as well as they would like, and their costs are too high, and they don't get the grades they want. So these guys have listed a gold ETF, which has got um, exposure to a broad range of miners. So you are getting that kicker there without quite such specific risk. So I guess it's a good thing. Unfortunately, gold has has been a bit of a damp squib in terms of what's um, what's been happening. You would like to think that with all the shenanigans in China and all the shenanigans in Greece, um, that we would have seen the gold price improve. But you know, it it has been um, somewhat of, of a dog to say the least. Yeah, it's it's very very small trading range there. And this yeah. thing this thing actually pays a dividend too. I understand, which is which is always good. Like gold miners <laughs> that seem to do that. And, right, right. and on to other mining stocks that are highly unlikely to pay a dividend. Um, there's talk of some of the smaller um, iron ore miners are going to have to close some of their mines. Yeah, I mean, markets are perverse creatures, really, as, as you and I both know, Stephen. Uh, last night, iron ore had its biggest fall ever, um, as sort of a quoted thing. Um, and you would have imagined that given those sorts of falls, we would have seen some sort of um, rout on the iron ore. Producers, BHP is actually up one and a half percent today. Fortescue is up five percent. Um, so the, the fall of iron ore last night is seen somewhat as a, as a bit of a panic. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but undoubtedly, some of these mid-cap or mid-tier iron ore guys, the Atlases, um, and even Fortescue to some extent, um, you know, without being able to get their cost base down to ridiculously low levels like BHP and Rio, they are going to have to cut back production because otherwise, every uh, every ton of dirt they dig and ship is actually costing them money. So we've yet to see any production cuts coming through because. Uh, BHP Rio and Fortescue at the moment still pumping uh, or digging up yep. record amounts of, uh, of red dirt shipping it overseas. So, well, they, they're still um, making money there. Well, they are, but it's you know they're not making that much money. No. That's the thing. Yep. Uh, Forty-four dollars a ton, as it was last night, and their cost, even if their cost is thirty, thirty-five bucks, mm-hmm. um, you know they're, they're not making a huge amount of return there, uh, considering the days when it was one hundred and seventy-five dollars a ton. Yeah, that's right. So um, it's um, it's not the golden goose that it used to be, and of course the fall in iron ore has some some major ramifications for poor old Joe Hockey, who must be choking on his cornflakes every morning when he reads the paper, and iron ore has dropped eleven percent. Uh, most of his budget predictions, or, or as I'd like to think of them as guesses, um, are based on um, a, you know, a buoyant take from the iron ore companies in terms of tax revenue. Thursday Finance at 26 to 1, and Stephen Pritchard, we're enjoying Henry Jennings's insights. Yeah, we're back to talk <laughs> about it. And um, Westpac uh, announced this week they're raising the deposit on loans to new property investors to 20%. I guess this is uh, this is all part of the RBA exerting some pressure on on the banks to try and take some of the steam out of the uh, the Sydney and, and Melbourne housing markets. So, um, you know, previously they were lending sort of 95, and in some cases 97 percent of the um, of the value of the property. Now um, Westpac have, uh, have cut those back to, I guess, a certainly more conservative 80 percent of the um, the property valuation for investors. I guess it just means you have to get a better property valuation. <laughs> I don't know that, that, that I don't know that, that the bank had that in mind, but anyhow. Well, that's what people normally do, isn't it? They just they just, they just bodge up the valuation. Mm, yeah, well. yeah. It certainly used to happen in London in my day. Uh, well, we won't go down. <laughs> and of course, Platinum's doing a brave thing at the moment, launching a new investment company with an Asian-based focus. Yeah. Another one. Yeah. Um, every man in this dog seems to be launching an investment fund at the moment. It seems to be um, sort of <clears throat> the easy money uh, market in terms of uh, doing this. We've had um, now Argo listed an infrastructure one. You've got Platinum doing an Asian one. Um, when there's another small fund manager, Contango are doing an income generator um, fund. I guess this is this is tapping into uh, you know, the uh, the psyche at the moment in terms of. Uh, Greed is good to some extent because these fund managers are looking at, at ways of trying to uh, um, continue their kind of their, their fee fest that they've had for some time. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. It's, I'd, I'd say it's probably not a bad time to be launching one looking at Asia. Um, you know, having seen the Chinese market crash, uh, Hong Kong as well, and Japan come off the top, it's probably not a bad time to be sifting over the ruins of some of these uh, these Asian shares and getting some exposure there. And Platinum is a good manager. They have had. Had, had good long-term results. They say they are. They, they certainly have had good long-term results. Um, yeah, they, they've, they're quite brave as, as managers go. They tend to uh, they tend to go against the crowd. So um, maybe this is another example of them going swimming against the tide. And of course, um, NIB has bought a, a travel insurance distributor for for ninety-five million. Yeah, World Travel Nomads Australia. 
Yeah. Well, I think, you know, health funds generally are they're pretty much struggling at the moment. We've seen the big flows of Medibank earlier this year, and it's kind of hard to get the growth out of these health funds at the moment, and there is increased competition. I'm sure you and your listeners would have noticed all the adverts on bus shelters and buses for Fitbits and God knows what bits yep. and new new training gear to sign up before June 30, etc. So it's quite a competitive world, and I guess you know the, the, the growth of the grey nomad, which is uh, which is well sort of documented, is, is probably not a bad place to be for these guys. So uh, it's good to see them stepping outside of their traditional business. Yeah, it's just another expansion plan, and yeah. and, and contract. Speaking of the opposite, contraction plans. NAB supposedly now going to push ahead with the uh, proposed spin-off of uh, Clydesdale and Yorkshire Bank later this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is a fantastic move by NABs. I mean, they, they have been um, sort of number four in the uh, Aussie banking sector for so long. Um, and under the new sort of action man, uh, Andrew Thorburn, they've really started to get quite aggressive. There seems to be a big change in culture going on in National Bank. And the, the big millstone, which has been around their neck for so long, of course, has been the UK business, which has been an absolute disaster. So the market's pretty happy that they're finally moving to get rid of this business. They're going to do a demerger and a possible IPO um, to float it off. There's good demand for... Um, for banking assets um, in the UK, and with the yield sort of focus, um, it should go quite well, um, and it will once again, as I say, remove this millstone around NAB's head. Mm. Big distraction for them, so it's a very good positive move for them. They're going to distribute the shares to existing shareholders, or a large proportion of them by the sound of it. Well, I mean, the plan's all up in the air. They're talking about a demerger and IPO. They've probably looked at the way BHP have handled the South 32 and decided that maybe that's a good way to go. But I'm sure there'll be some sort of capital raise and an offer mm. to uh, to people that aren't shareholders of National Bank. Mm. And then Incidec Pivots had some uh, um, profits reduction because yeah. of gas supply problems. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's a tough one. It's a Liza game, isn't it? It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very much... Um, I mean, it's very much geared to uh, to the economy, and it's got a lot of um, a lot of problems with weather, etc. So it's um, the market hasn't taken it particularly well. The news yesterday, so um, you know the profit warning is never good, um, and you know they're looking for um, a new gas deal for their uh, ammonium nitrate plant in Queensland, and um, you know that's that's they're going to be competing with all these new uh, gas projects. So energy costs are a big part of uh, producing uh, fertiliser, I'm afraid. Yep. And, of course, they've got the explosive side, which is, you know, when you've got a mining slowdown, as we have at the moment, you know, it's, it's not good for um, for, for uh, that side of things. Either mining services is a tough gig. Yeah, yeah, because they use uh, a lot of that fertiliser is used in the mines as explosives. Mm. Yes, yes. Yeah. We won't go into how that's done. Uh, no. <laughs> and, uh, I used to when I was a young boy. Uh, <laughs> yes. School holidays up here. There's probably too many young boys listening. Um, and then there's uh, IWF's Chris Kelleher appeared before the Senate committee this uh, this week. Yeah. And, uh, the, the, Hasn't really covered himself in glory. They, they, IWF, which has always been sort of seen as a pretty crafty and conservative institution, uh, the Independent Order of Odd Fellows being its uh, its official name, um, it's it's been hit with a, a sort of a crime. Certainly, you know, they've had some issues with, uh, with what they term 
front running on insider trading, um, and also copy and paste and taking reports. And then poor old um, Chris has been uh, hauled up in front of a Senate inquiry into the financial services business. And uh, it seems we might be having problems with Henry's line, but that really is our market that's, snapshot, isn't it? I think that's with, it. With uh, Henry Jennings, and he'll be back from Marcus today. He'll be back next week with our market snapshot. It's 13 to 1 on 2NURFM. This is Thursday Finance, and we're very happy to take your calls. If you've got something on your world of finance you'd like to find out about, give us a call on 49216216. But in the meantime, Stephen Pritchard, We'd like to take a look at margin lending. We're hearing quite a lot about it, aren't we, these days? Well, margin lending always becomes popular when markets are rising and and less popular when markets are falling, as uh, Henry mentioned earlier in China. So what what is margin lending? Margin lending is basically just a way of getting a loan on your investments. It's, it's, it's a very simple process. The, the, the lender will have an approved list of uh, investments and they'll just lend you a percentage of those um, investments um, and you can basically do whatever you want with the money. So you can decide which investments you want to take the loan out on? Um, provided they're on the approved list. Right. Yeah, so each there's a number of margin lenders in Australia. There's probably, um, you know, three or four main ones, and they've all got their approved lists of what they'll lend you money on. Um, the approved lists are similar, but they're not altogether exactly the same. So what kinds of things would be on their approved list? Oh, the top 100 stocks, I mean, they're, they're, they'd be all on there, the, the, the banks, um, uh, the BHPs and the Rios of the world, um, they'll be on all of the approved margin lending lists. It's at the smaller end of the market there where, where they kind of differ to, to what, what they'll lend you on various companies now, on a on a um, on a uh, something like Rio or BHP or Westpac, they'll probably lend you seventy seventy five percent of the value. Um, as something on the smaller end of the market, um, some of the smaller companies they might only lend thirty. 25 to 30 percent. Okay, so they make that decision. What about things like property? Is is that also something you can take at a margin loan on? No, 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 no because so the margin loan is a specific property product for, for, for uh, listed securities and managed funds. Right, okay. So, um, well, why would you borrow well, on people, that people to people invest? Well, people can take out a margin loan for um, a number of reasons. One one's to um, give them additional capital to invest. Um, one is to potentially increase the size of the returns on the investments, which is you know, if the, the market's going up um, and, and you've got a large amount to invest, your returns increase. But of course, uh, if the market goes down, your losses magnify. Um, and you know, if you need some money for something else, it, it may be easy. To, um, getting a, Once you've got a margin facility set up, um, it's very easy to borrow on, um, and, and you can borrow that money that you may need for, for some other purpose instead of having to sell the investments and perhaps crystallise a, a capital right, gain so that you, you pay tax on. And you still... And oh, so there is a tax advantage, is there? Ah, yeah, there can be a tax advantage okay. on, yeah, yeah. And, and, and a margin facility, once it's established with the limit, um, provided you've got the security, you know, it's a, usually a come and go type facility. If they give you, a, say, a $200,000 limit, provided you've got the securities there, you can draw down whatever you want up to the 200000 at any time. To NURFM, it's 7 to 1. Thursday Finance and Stephen Pritchard. We do it for our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners. Uh, we're talking about margin lending and margin loans, and um, are there risks associated with this? Uh, margin loans, yes, there's risks associated with margin loans. There's risks associated with any loan. The risks are similar. Um, 
So one of the one of the big risks with margin loans is a thing called a margin call. So basically, what that means is if the financial institution will lend you seventy five percent of the value of, a, of an investment, and the value of that investment drops, so you, you, the, the the loan now represents more than seventy five percent, they'll ask you to top that up. They'll send you a margin call notice and expect you to um, tip in extra cash or additional securities to restore the lending ratio. Now, if you don't do that, usually within um, 24 hours, um, the, the financial institution will then start to sell your positions out. So you do need something in reserve. You need something in reserve, or the alternative is keep a fair uh, a value. I mean, if we were to give advice on a margin loan, we'd always say only to borrow 50% of the amount you're allowed to. That gives that, you plenty of yeah, So if they'll lend you 75%, you know, we'd say that you'd only borrow 50% of the 75%. So you've really got to have a, a big market fall before you're stuck in a position that you've got to come up with additional. I mean, even if the Chinese market's fallen, like Henry said, 50%, um, if you borrowed the 50% of the 75%, you, you wouldn't get a margin call. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yes, that's important. Is yes. that the only risk? No, no, there's other risks. I no. mean, there's, there's interest rate risk, of course, if the interest rates go up. Um, unexpectedly, um, and, and you can't um, have you know you, do, you don't want to sell your investments. Um, you're going to pay additional interest rates. That the interest rate on a margin loan is around seven percent at the moment. So if interest rates went up and they put it up to two percent, another two percent, you're going to be paying nine percent. So there's the interest rate risk like there is on all loans. And the other thing, which is similar to all loans as well, but it's just more obvious if if they change the lending ratio. So if the seventy five percent they suddenly decide they're only going to lend sixty percent for whatever reason. Um, um, that may result in a margin call to you if you haven't holding sufficient security with them. Right. Okay. Um, uh, that's all very well, but how do we get a margin loan? Um, there's, a, there's a number of providers. Um, uh, you, you basically need to get hold of the uh, product disclosure statement, um, you, you, which, which the providers all have on the internet or from your financial advisor, um, and you need to fill in the um, application form and uh, send it in. Now, the last few years, because of change in legislative requirements, it's become more complex to get a margin. And previously, all you did was fill the application form in and lodge the securities you wanted to lend against them. And if you had a, you know, you had a, a satisfactory credit rating, um, that was that was all you needed to do. Now they tend to look at your income, um, how how you're going to pay back the loan, and you can't rely on the sale of investments to pay back the loan now generally. Okay. So it's a lot more complex to get, but, but they're still a good product. They're, you know, they're still a good product if, if they're used for what they're intended to be used as. So margin loans, don't dismiss them? I wouldn't dismiss them. No, hmm. no they're a good product if they're used rightly. Okay. And that's Thursday Finance for Thursday today. Thursday Finance. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. We'll Thanks, be back Jane. next week and we'll be um, checking out the world of finance on 2NURFM.